Sometimes you might just want to sit and, and let the song minister to you and just listen to the message of the songs. Since the words are up there, it might be your life song and that you just want to cry out and sing. It's like, God, you've changed me and I'm, I'm not the same. And now my life song is different because of you. And I want you to know that there's just, I, I want there to be great freedom here. To stand, to sit, to sing, to listen. Um, there, there ought not be any pressure. And if you're feeling some, um, well, you ought not to. And I don't want you to, all right? I don't know where that's coming from. But, um, but, uh, but anyway, there, there are some songs that aren't, they're not, they're not really worship songs. They're not, they're not songs that, that as a congregation you would sing, but they have an incredible message and I, I wanted to add that. And so, um, so instead of just having a little bit of music playing over when the offering goes, um, I've asked them to start giving us some uh, songs with a message in there. And uh, anyway, I think that's going to be... They, they, they have, God's given them such great talent and abilities. And uh, I, I'm, I'm joyed to, uh, uh, to unleash it a little bit more. All right. So we're starting a series this week um, entitled Fallen Heroes. And I'm real excited about this because this is one of the more fun studies that, that I've ever done. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at heroes in the Bible and how they messed up. All right? A lot of times in Bible studies and sermons, you're shown what the heroes of the Bible and what they did right. And the things that made them heroic so that you can aspire to be heroic in, in your own life. Um, that's not what we're going to do with this study. We're going to look at what they did wrong. And we're going to learn along the way that God will utilize broken and messed up people like you and I. And, and we're also going to learn some things that it's like, you know what? Um, I think I need to let God work on that in my life. Because I have that same tendency. And it doesn't disqualify me from being used by God. But it's like, you know what? I can learn a lesson um, from, from this hero. And uh, it's one of the beautiful things you find in the scriptures is that it is incredibly honest about the people. And there's some, there are some real failings. Um, some of which that'll make you feel better about yourself because you haven't blown it as big as they have. Um, and if you have, you'll still feel better because it's like, gosh, if God can redeem and restore and use them heroically, well, why not me? Why not me? So today we're going to look at a guy named Saul. And I'm going to move fast because this guy is such an interesting character, all right? And there's a lot to, uh, that the Scripture tells us about him that I just find incredibly interesting, and I don't, want to, I don't want to leave it out, all right? So we're going to look at Saul. Saul would have been the George Washington of his day, all right? And he was a man that God gifted with potential to succeed. He was given more resources to succeed from God than, than perhaps anyone else, but he was not able to turn all that he was given into success. And he had a real downfall that I think all of us have to work through at some point, and there's only one real answer to that, what, what, which brought down Saul, all right? Um, uh, God gives each of us potential, but we must obey in order to see our potential become success. So let's look at this gifted individual who was unable to turn his potential into success. The background is we're looking at about 1100 B.C. It's a time following about 500 years of darkness, uh, 500 years of dark ages. Um, Moses brought Israel to um, the promised land, but he couldn't enter. And so Joshua 
brings the nation over, and he's supposed to conquer the nation and get things reset so that God's people can plant and start um, establishing God's kingdom uh, there. But they, they fail to complete the conquest. And for 500 years, they are this loose confederation of tribes. They're the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're not really an entire nation. And, and what they would do is they would, they would come together in spots, not all of them at one point and not all of them at one time, but they'd come together in spots when there was trouble. And, um, and it was a day and age like they just they didn't know about having a relationship with God. And so they tended to just do what they wanted to do. And you see through the book of Judges this downward spiral where it's like they get in trouble, they call on God to help, God sends them a deliverer in the form of a judge, and they get rescued for a while, and then they keep descending, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the time the book of Judges ended, ends, I mean, it, they're just, it is a nasty situation. Um, you couldn't make a movie about the book of Judges and keep it PG. It's just, it's, they're just, it's just bad. So about this time of 1100 B.C., there's this guy named Samuel. Samuel is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And, and people are they're, they're tired of just, just constantly having trouble and trouble and trouble and trouble. And they look around and they say, well, look, other nations have a king. We don't have a king. We want to be like other nations. Samuel, give us a king. All right? And, uh, and, and God gives them this guy named Saul. All right? Um. They wanted a king because uh, not only were they just tired of trouble, but they had a new trouble that was emerging. It was a group called the Philistines. Um, these were seafaring people. They had come across the sea, and, um, and with them, they brought with them the discovery of iron. All right? Israel is still in the Bronze Age, and the Philistines have the power of iron. Um, and uh, a, 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 a bronze spear... Going up against an iron shield, um, there's just no contest. Um, iron is just a much stronger metal. And so, but, but Israel's still in the Bronze Age. So instead of just having like one of their tribes fight the Philistines, they need the whole, uh, the whole group from Israel, all 12, to band together to face this, uh, this challenge. And, uh, and that's part of why they want a king. God gives them Saul, and God gives Saul a package of potential that should have set him up for success. So I want you to look at Saul and this package of potential. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to go through there, but we're going to put the Scriptures on the board so that you can fact-check me, all right? Because uh, we don't want any miscommunications of what's important. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becheroth, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Any... Any, any expecting mothers here? There's some names for you to consider. All right? Um, biblical names. Um, uh, the, the, the son of Aphia, Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. The Bible tells us that this guy Saul was handsome. In fact, he was better looking than everyone else. And not only was he good looking, but he was tall. When it says from his shoulders upward, he was taller. That means that most likely he was a full 12 inches taller than everybody else. That everybody else, their head, the top of their head came to his shoulders and he was taller. All right. Listen, 
Um, it's no secret that being tall and being handsome afford you certain advantages in life. All right? All my life, I've heard uh, women describe a desirable man as being tall, dark, and handsome. All right? I've never heard a woman boast that her man was short, pale, and repulsive. All right? It just... They're just not bragging about that. Look at how little he is. He's just so squatty. Like, he's just, uh, like, like, and his skin, like, he's like a ghost. It's just, yeah. And if you're short and pale and just, uh, God can use you too, okay? It's all right. I, I wasn't given height. Um, uh, like it or not, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not fair, but in this world, if you are tall and you are attractive, your potential for success is higher than others. Saul was taller than others and better looking. And these were gifts from God. He did not will himself to be attractive. He did not will himself to be tall. This was something that was just given to him by God. And if that were not enough, we're told that his father was a man of wealth. Meaning that Saul grew up with access to things that other young men did not have. None of these advantages Saul had were the result of his own work and his own effort. All right? God had gifted him these things for potential. But not only that, God gifted Saul. I mean, he was tall. He was handsome. He, he came from a, 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 a well-off family. And God gives him the ability to preach. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse 5, we read this. It says, after that, um, you shall come to Gibeath El... Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flutes, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And when these signs meet you, do what your hands find to do, for God is with you. So the prophet Samuel is telling Saul, this is what's going to happen. God's going to gift you with the ability to preach. You're going to, you're going to be there, and here's going to come these other prophets, and they're going to be coming over the hill, and they're going to be um, singing my life song sings, and God's Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to be a different man. And that is exactly what happened. In verse 9 of that same chapter, it says, When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these things came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over this son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? Uh, verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, and to each one his home. Saul went to his home at Gibeah, and with him the men of valor went with those with him. Saul has the ability to preach. Look, um, I, I, I give it my best go, all right? But we've probably all seen, fellas, that there's just a certain anointing that God gives them and and they speak and it draws people in um the, the guy who kind of mentored me and I say kind of was a man named John Randalls um I uh I, I learned a lot from this this fella he's passed away but he was such a preacher he could get in front of a crowd he can tell um 
two stories out of sports, one story out of business, and say, hey, who needs Jesus? And a hundred people would come forth. I can get up here, preach my heart and soul out, and be like, nope, okay. I mean, it's just the way that it is. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't lament it. I just wish I had that kind of anointing. I mean, some guys have it. A Billy Graham, I watched that guy preach for years and years. Watched him preach. Wasn't entirely impressed with him. But my goodness, what God did through him and through that preaching. Saul had this kind of gift. He could speak and draw multitudes in and give them the truth of God with great clarity and, and power. All right? It's a gift from God. Saul didn't, you, didn't learn this. He didn't go to seminary and take preaching class. And by the way, I've never taken a preaching class myself. And those who have are like, that's probably a good thing that you haven't. You know, that may be an asset for myself. No amens. Man, I'm in trouble. Yeah, I'm in trouble. All right, we're going back to school. Um, Saul was gifted this by God. Not only that, was he gifted with the, the gift of preaching, he was a gifted leader. Um, and that last verse I read, uh, 1 Samuel 10, 26, said, Saul went to his home at Gibeah, and with him the men of valor whose heart God had touched. There was this Bible study at Samuel's house, and, uh, and as Saul left, Everybody's dismissed to their own home, but these men of valor follow him. All right, the, when it says men of valor, these were the brave men. These were the were the most skilled warriors. These were the these were the um, the leaders uh, of, of the various tribes. These were the they, these were men of valor, and they said, "All right, Saul, we believe in you. God has touched our hearts. God has given us. We're, we are going to help you. We are going to be a part of what God wants to do with you, and we're following after you." He's gifted with the gift of leadership. Now, I've taken classes on leadership, right? And that's, that's a positive thing. But there are some people in this world that when they enter into a room, the atmosphere just changes. When they speak up, ears tune into what they say. When they get quiet, people hush because they want to strain to listen to what this person says. And they have the ability to, to motivate and mobilize people. These were not just any men who are following Saul. These are the best of the best. And they are touched in the heart by God to follow him. Saul was gifted with the gift of leadership. And he didn't do do anything to earn it. This was just a gift of God, a part of his package of potential to help him succeed as the first um, king of Israel. You know, all of us are called to lead in some capacity and you can take classes on leadership and grow in leadership. But there's just a handful of people in every generation that have this natural ability to lead. Um, not only was he a gifted leader, he's also gifted with wisdom. The, uh, the, the prophet Samuel anoints Saul as king, all right? But not everyone in um, the nation wants Saul to be king. I mean, they were all on board saying, we want a king, we want a king, we got this big, we got to deal with the Philistines, we want to be like other nations, we all want a king. But everybody wanted a king to come from their own tribe, all right? Guy from Judah says, yeah, Saul is, is tall, but, but I want a guy from Judah to be my king. Uh, a guy from, from the, the tribe of Levi says, yeah, Saul's a great leader, but, but I really think that the king of Israel needs to be a spiritual leader. The, the king needs to be a Levite, right? Uh, From the tribe of Dan says, yeah, he's good looking, but what are looks matter? You know, uh, 
uh, beauty's only skin deep. We want our king to come from our tribe, from Dan. And not everybody's on board with Saul being king. All right? So he's king, and these, uh, this group um, uh, called the Ammonites are stirring up some trouble. And, um, and they said, okay, Mr. King, Mr. Mr. Leader, Mr. Prophet, Mr. Tall and handsome and athletic guy, you, you go do, with, do something about this. And back then, you know, kings did not stand on the sidelines while their troops go to battle. No, they led their troops in the battle. They would have been the first out onto the battlefield. So they're saying, all right, Mr. Mr. Saul, if you're so great, so gifted from God, you go lead and you do something about these Ammonites. And they think, well, if he's not so great, he gets killed and we get to figure out who's going to be our real king. That's, that's what's going on. And um, uh, uh, so they, 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 here's the situation. First Samuel, verse 11. It says, And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. For the day... For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Here's what happened. Saul uses his gift of leadership to rally the men. They said, okay, Mr. Saul, what are you going to do with the Ammonites? He uses his gift of leadership. He rallies the men. He divides them into three companies. And they go and they do battle. And from, from 6 a.m. to 12 noon, they are fighting. They are doing battle. Swords are clashing. And they have such great success that by noon that day, you could not find two Ammonites who were still together. They had scattered in such a way that, that, that they were gone. All right? Now, there's these... The Bible calls worthless men. These are the ones who are going, why should Saul be our king? Why, why not somebody from my tribe? And they didn't support him. And so here comes Saul's men of valor. These valiant men are coming in. I mean, just imagine the mood you are in after doing battle for six hours. I mean, swords have been swung at them. Clubs have been hitting on them. They've taken blows onto their shields. These men are grumpy. They are tired. They are probably filled with bloodlust because they've just, I mean, they've been at war all day and they come in and they say, who are those worthless men who said, why should Saul lead us? Bring them out here. We'll kill them too. We got rid of the Ammonites. We'll get rid of these guys and we'll fix this whole, why should Saul reign over this? A normal guy, a guy who doesn't have wisdom would probably let them do it. He says, all right, that's one less problem I have. We got rid of the Ammonites, got rid of the worthless men. Saul's given the gift of wisdom. And Saul says, put your swords away, boys. There's going to be no killing today. We fight the enemies of God. But this is the people of God, and these are brothers of ours. No killing today. And what happens is, when those men of valor see the mercy that Saul gives, their hearts love him more. And the men who just received mercy, they go from being in opposition to being in favor. Samuel, the prophet's watching this. He's already anointed Saul king once before, but it didn't take. So he, uh, he says, hey, the moment's right here. Let's all go to Gilgal and let's renew the kingdom. 
And there he anoints Saul king again. And this time the whole nation, all 12 tribes are like, praise God, Saul, this tall, handsome, prophetic leader with wisdom is our king. We've got a great king. And there was much rejoicing. Saul was handsome, athletic, a good public speaker, a natural leader, and had wisdom. But in spite of all this God-given potential, Saul was not able to utilize his potential to become a success. Potential means you got the right stuff. Success means you've arrived. Let's look at what happened that prevented this gifted man from succeeding. 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read a little bit for you. It says, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash, to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead, Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings, and as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For even the Lord would have established your kingdom for, over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Here's the situation. Saul's got a real problem here. He has just been uh, anointed king over Israel. There's great celebration. And immediately the Philistines have arrived on the shore. And they are in such great numbers. I mean, they're, they're like the sands of the seashore. And these are, these are not the Ammonites. The Ammonites fight you with bronze swords and shields, all right? This is the Philistines. They've got iron. He's got a real problem there. He goes out there to meet them, but he's like, okay, if we're going to defeat the Philistines, we've got to get God involved in this, all right? We, we can't do this on our own power. We need God's help to defeat Philistines with iron swords, all right? Let's start worshiping. Let's offer sacrifice. Let's get God on our side. Where's the prophet? Well, he's going to be here in a few days. Seven days pass. Samuel's late. Saul sees that his men are starting to get real nervous and antsy about this fight, and they start to scatter. They're saying, uh-uh, I'm not doing this. I'm going back home. And he starts to see them scattering. And he's like, listen, if we're going to defeat the Philistines, this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of fight. I need everybody. We've got to, get, we've got to do this, uh, this, this offering to get ready for this fight. Where's Samuel? Samuel's late. The men are scattering. He's like, fine, bring me... Bring me the offerings. I'm, I'm king. I'm the first king. I'm special. I got, I, look, look, look what all God gave me. I'm taller than everybody else. I'm handsome. I'm athletic. I'm, I'm a leader. 
I, I can prophesy. I'm spiritual. Why can't I do it? And so he offers the burnt offering. And no sooner does that does the smoke go up that here comes the prophet Samuel over the hill. And he's coming over there. He says, all right, time to get God in this. And he, hey, I'm on just on time. These guys are barbecuing. And he's like, wait, that's not a barbecue. That's the burnt offering. Shows up and he's like, Saul, what have you done? And Saul says, what do you mean, what have I done? I did what I had to do. Look, Samuel, you're late. This is, what, what am I supposed to do? We got the Philistines lined up against us. The men are scattering. I did what I had to do. And I could do it. I'm king. I can prophesy like you. I, I can do this. Y- y'all do know from the Old Testament that there was one tribe of Israel that was allowed to give sacrifice to God. It was the Levites. Saul is a Benjamite. It was not his place. Saul says, I'm king. I'm special. I'm handsome. I'm a leader. God's chosen me. I'll offer the sacrifice. I did what I had to do. I knew it wasn't my place to offer a sacrifice, but you were late. So I forced myself to give the bird offering. Besides, I'm king, I'm special, I'm a leader, I'm gifted, I'm special. And rules don't apply to me. I'm king, I make my own rules. And Samuel looks at him and says, you fool. God had set you up for greatness. All you had to do was obey. But, but hit the showers, you're done. God would have established your kingdom forever. But now, God wants a man who's after his own heart. Not your game anymore, Saul. Hit the showers. You're done. See, what happened to Saul is he began to think that the world revolved around him. Everything in this world is, revolves around God. But Saul thought that because he was so special, he was so tall and athletic and handsome, a leader, he could preach, he had wisdom... He thought that because of all his special gifts that the world revolved around him. He forgot that everything that made him special were gifts from God. He thought his greatness was the results of his special attributes and talents. The opposite. What made him special were gifts. See, when the world revolves around you, you think rules don't apply to you. Rules are for regular people, common people. But when you're special, when the world revolves around you, then you make up your own rules. And there's only one person that you need to obey. And that's yourself. Saul had forgotten even kings have to obey God. I mean, how many young athletes have we seen in our lives with such God-given potential? How many have we seen them squander their future because they thought the rules didn't apply to them? Seen it too many times, I've lost count. How many politicians have we seen that have lost their careers because they thought they were above the law or that morality were for regular folk, not special people like them? Even kings have to obey God. When you start thinking that the world revolves around you, you take God out of his rightful position in the universe and you put yourself there. And everything becomes about you And everything is now for you, and you become extremely selfish. 
It's, it's interesting to compare the downfall of Saul, the sin that Saul commits and the sin that King David commits. Saul offers an offering that he should not have. David commits adultery and murder. Saul gets rejected by God as king. David suffers some consequences, but, but God leaves him in the game. It's, it's interesting to compare those two things. And the, and the difference is not what they did, because we fixate on what they did. The difference is not in what they did. The difference is in how each of them responded when confronted about their sin. Nathan confronts David and says, uh, you are the man who has done these terrible things. And David breaks and he says, you're right. I have sinned against God. Saul gets confronted about what he's done. And he's like, I did what I had to do. You were late, Samuel. I forced myself to do this. What else could I do? That's the difference. You see, in the end, it's not sin that keeps you from succeeding. God will forgive sin. It's a lack of obedience. It's insisting on doing things your way rather than God's way. It's, it's living as though the world revolves around you and you get to make up your own rules. And here's the thing about selfishness. Selfishness will drive you un- insane when it goes unchecked. It will drive you insane. All of us come into this world selfish. All of us have to work through that. And not everybody does. And when it goes unchecked, it's crazy what people expect, what they think they're entitled to, because the world revolves around them. And I think you look at look at some examples of folks in this world who have the greatest ability to indulge themselves. Y'all remember the stories that came out of Michael Jackson after he died? You, no. Do some of you do? Okay, good. I, I hate giving illustrations that I'm the only one who gets it. That's embarrassing. Um, no, Michael Jackson, a great entertainer. And, and certainly in terms of money, he succeeded. And he could indulge in everything. After he died, they found the kind of things that he was taking and the things that he was doing and like sleeping with, like just sharing a bed with children. And he just thought that was normal. That's, that's it. That's, all of us are like, that's crazy. But to him, it was just, it was just what you, it was, it was natural. Because when selfishness goes unchecked, it will drive you insane. It did it to Saul. Let me watch this. In uh, 1 Samuel 14, we read, it says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid on an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. See, here's 
Here's their situation. The Philistines, they were not interested in taking your land. They were a seafaring people. They were marauders. And, and they were interested in what you got. And what people had back then, what was value, were, were daughters that they can kidnap and sell into prostitution, sons that they could kidnap and sell as slaves, and your crops that they could take for themselves and also sell. And so what they would do is they would come across the seas, they'd set up camp, and they would wait until your crops were ready to harvest, your daughters were old enough to, um, to, to get a buyer, and your sons were strong enough to make good slaves. And they would come into town like a bunch of um, just wild ravagers, and they would take all your stuff, and they would run back to the coast, and they would um, go and sell your children. This is what's happened. The, 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 the children of Israel have been taken, and, and they get the king, and they say, we got to go get them back. And, and Saul says, all right, Saul makes this about himself. He says, everybody, you take an oath. Nobody is to eat or drink until, and this is what he says. He says, curse be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. These were not his sons and daughters, but he was out for vengeance. He made this about himself. He is a selfish man. They're doing, they're chasing. They're, they're a couple of days behind. They're, they're trying hard to get, to get their kids back. They're running as fast as they can. This army's running and they're getting tired and they haven't had any nourishment and, and they're wearing out. And they're like, I don't think we're going to make it. And they come into this forest and there's this big tree that's falling on the ground. And there's this honeycomb and it is so full and it's so, it is just dripping of honey. And even those ancient men knew what a sugar rush would do for you when you needed energy. Pure sugar like that. Jonathan, who didn't hear that he needed to take an oath, he dips his staff in there and that golden honey runs down his hand and he eats it and all of a sudden he gets that energy rush and he's like hooray guys look god has provided we can rescue our children eat up boys god has provided we're going to do this we're going to make it and they say jonathan did you not hear your dad said curse be anybody made us take an oath and back in an oral uh, society like that the oath was everything we promised we weren't going to eat anything we can't do it i'm sorry we're not going to make it. And it says they grew faint. And Jonathan says, my father has troubled the land because he made this about him. And rather than doing what was right for the country, he made it about him. He was selfish. Saul has no idea he's being selfish. I'll give you one more scripture. 1 Samuel 18 says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine. Now, there were lots of Philistines. There was one, the Philistine. This is Goliath. David's coming home from, from killing Goliath. And it says, and the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul had struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, he said. And they ascribed to David. They have described to David ten thousands. To me, they've only ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? I mean, this is the first thing David's done. When you, are in, when you think the world revolves around you, 
When you start seeing somebody else get recognition, it drives you even more crazy. You can't stand to see another person have good because you think it's all about you. David has done this great thing. He struck down the giant. Why not celebrate it? The women had come out to meet Saul, but they were singing about David. He couldn't hear it. He's like, they say he's killed ten thousands. I've only killed a thousand. That's what they're saying. It's like, what? I, I can't stand this little guy. I hate him. He's, he's taking my praise away from him. What more is he going to get? Is he going to get the whole kingdom? I mean, this is just a day after this big event. I was all worried about my kingdom. My kingdom, it's mine. I have to protect it. And I hate him. I hate him. He's going crazy because he is selfish. It drives him mad. And for the rest of Saul's life, as you read the book of 1 Samuel, you watch him unravel. And before his story ends, his selfishness takes him so far from God that he is consulting with witches in desperation. And he has them summon the, the now dead prophet Samuel. And Samuel tells him in 1 Samuel 28, He says, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. God stripped him of all that he had given him. He had all this potential, all these reasons to succeed, but he... He thought the world started revolving around himself. And he let his selfishness grow and grow and grow. He thought the rules didn't apply to him. That's a very dangerous place. When you think you're so special that the rules don't apply to you. You know, all of us come into this world selfish. And we don't have to be given good gifts to think that the rules don't apply to us. I sit there and I think about folks I know who think that the reason that they're angry now makes them special. And now because they're angry, rules don't apply to them. God says forgive, but I don't need to forgive because I have been hurt. I have been, I have been abused. I have been neglected. And I am I'm angry and I am right to hold on to this grudge. Rules don't apply to me. I don't have to forgive. I feel... Like such and such. How do you think Jesus felt on that cross? What did he feel? I mean, we shudder at what he felt physically. What did he feel emotionally when all his friends were gone? By himself, being mocked, and what does he pray? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Saul makes it all about himself. Jesus He made it all about you and me and his father's love. Think about the times when you think the rules don't apply to you. You're in a dangerous spot. Even kings have to obey. Even hurt people have to obey. Even bored people have to obey. We all come into this world selfish. 
Got any good cures for selfishness? Is there a pill for that? Is there a law the government can pass to fix that? I've only found one cure for selfishness. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you give your life over to the most unselfish person to ever live and say, you now guide my steps. He doesn't lead you into selfishness. It's the only cure. There's one thing we can um, understand from, from Saul here. is he got taken down by the same thing that's inside every single one of us. The solution is the sinless Son of God. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you given Jesus your life? It's the only real cure. It's the only thing that changes the human heart. It's the only thing truly places God back in His rightful position. He's the center of the universe. He's the Master. He's the Lord. When we try to become that, oh, what a mess we make. So, Father God, I just pray right now, because there is not one of us here who have not made things about ourselves that they shouldn't be. Father, we haven't... uh, We all have sought our good, but but you, you taught us, Jesus, that he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for your sake will find it. And so, Father, I just pray now for those of us here today that each and every one of us can truly find life by losing it for your sake. Father, forgive us for our selfish ways. And thank you for all that you've given us. Father, you have given us more than any of us ever deserved. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his presence in our lives. And so, Father, on this day, help us learn from this one that we might turn from our selfish ways and seek to grow and become more like your son Jesus. He's the only real hero. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's just... they've got something going on. And whether it's hurt or it's ambition... Or it's, or it's just the fact that you've done good for them. But they are, they are avoiding what they know you want from them. Trying to make their own rules. Father, convict them. Power them to repent and go the right way. Because we know where this leads. Father, thank you for your great forgiveness. All of us in here have sinned. All of us in here have messed up. 
and you're willing to forgive. Thank you for that. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.